Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. Welcome to the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey. I'm with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'm your host this week for this in-depth interview with a different creative Mississippian. Each week, someone from the Arts Commission, myself or one of my colleagues, comes in and we talk, have an in-depth interview with uh, artists, musicians, photographers, other creative people from throughout this today. And today, I'm up in uh, Starkville at Mississippi State. I'd like to thank uh, Stephen Canetto and his colleagues at the Mississippi State Libraries. I'm in the uh, li- main library here on campus, and I'm doing some interviews with some of the fa- art faculty here. And today joining me is um, Marita Guti. She's a professor of art uh, with emphasis in photography here at Mississippi State. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, one of the reasons I, I'm, I'm, I've got you here is because you've been involved with our programs at the Arts Commission for many years. You've been a, a fellowship recipient at least twice, twice right? Yes. Yeah. Over the years, a very, you know, a, a very competitive program. If somebody says they've gotten <laughs> a fellowship from the Mississippi Arts Commission, believe me, it's, it's, it's an accomplishment because lots of people apply, but we only have so many to give out every year. So, you know, again, congratulations well, on your you success much. on that. But you've been here at Mississippi State for, for many years, right, as a, as a photography yeah. professor. I've been here for 30 plus years. Right. Um, I came in 1986, in the fall of 86. And uh, I was hired as a tenure track instructor. And that's the last time anyone, in, at least in the art department, was ever hired as a tenure track instructor. Now you get hired as an associate assistant professor. Then you move up. So I had to. You worked your way way from the bottom. Oh yeah, I had to fill out too many of those tenure and promotion packets. Packets. You know the whole system. (laughs) Well, well, tell people about some of the. You are a professional photographer. You you you're active in your in your field, but maybe talk a little bit about some of the the areas within photography that you teach here at Mississippi State. I have taught in just about every single area when it comes around to photography. I was part of getting the first digital lab in photography. Uh, way back when, back when uh, I would, I think it was Photoshop 2.5, a long time ago, and that was when we first started teaching digital. But I've also uh, teach darkroom on a regular basis, uh, both advanced and beginning. And um, but my favorite love is alternative. I love alternative processes. When I have a chance to make a pinhole camera or to uh, use an alternative process like Sanotype Van Dyke Brown. It's just really, really awesome. And to see the students change as they move from one to the other. Sometimes there's some programs that just work in digital alone, but I think the students miss a lot through that process. The tactile quality you get in darkroom can't be beat. And then the idea of um, working in a whole different way in alternative adds more depth to the program and to the students. So we're not here to produce highly, you know, technical photographers in a sense of commercial or fields along that lines where they, you know, just go do weddings. We're really wanting to give them a wider range and give them an experience beyond the digital format. And I think that shows. I was looking at some of the um, kind of your the the art department's kind of newsletter blog, I guess, on on the website, and there were different. Um, awards for some of your students and you can really see i mean these were they had highly 
distinctive styles. There was, you know, they were all, there were several very accomplished ones winning student prizes and that, but each of them seemed to have a, a fairly unique kind of perspective, even as students in their work. That's one thing I really love, even with our faculty here. There's an encouragement not to necessarily follow what the professor does. And there are some programs that if you don't look like the professor, you're not succeeding. Not at Mississippi State, and definitely not in the photography department, because we want the students to have their own vision and their own way. We want to introduce them to enough that then they can make the choice wisely. And it is so incredible to see in one exhibition, like a senior thesis exhibition, where we have you know, large format digital prints to um, small, intimate, you know, tintypes. You know, it's just really, it's really amazing. And the students are deciding on that. We're not directing them for that. And if you, again, if you see our student work, you can't say, well, that one looks like one of, you know, that's a Marita Goody. You know, it's just, it's not. We, I even generally don't show as much of my work because I want them to have their own vision. So I'm proud of that. I'm very proud of that. Well, let's talk a little bit about your background. You're, you're originally, you're a native of Indiana and uh, grew up in small town Indiana. Talk a little bit about that, you know, Norman Rockwell kind of <laughs> land and, and how it brought you into photography. I do love southern Indiana, the rolling hills and... Uh, the land of Lincoln, and in some ways, because uh, Lincoln's boyhood home was, is fairly close to Jasper. Everybody fights for, for Lincoln. <laughs> Illinois, Kentucky, Indiana, everybody's in there, right? <laughs> As they say at the boyhood home, we have his formative years. Okay. But um, it, it was always something where you could go and walk where he walked, and it was just really, you know, it's always fun to look back on that. And, you know, I would take jaunts on afternoons in my car and go through cornfields and yeah, there's something really nice about just feeling that close to the earth and um but at the same time you know my dad was a home kind of a local doctor doctor a gp i mean when i was growing up he he made house calls so i mean i would sit in the car sometimes for an, an hour as he was you know talking to a patient inside their home but it was just fun to travel with them and go different places. And um, and you got to meet so many people in the community, I'm oh, sure, yeah, as well. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. really, He really was like great. a celebrity, I'm sure, right? <laughs> yeah, that, as time went on, that became less and less, but which right. kind of hurt his feelings, I think, oh. in a way. But it was, I, I, Jasper's an, an interesting little town. It's very German, but I'm not a touch German. So and I was one of the few people that had more Irish in the background. So it was really interesting to... Uh, be in grade school with you know to celebrate different things and I was like well I'm not really German I, my mom learned about St. Nicholas Day you know how you know because in Jasper on St. Nicholas Day kids receive a little pre-Christmas gift um, she never she grew up in Chicago and so it was like never heard of that so you know learning those uh, German traditions was always really interesting you're listening to the Arts Hour, and we're talking with Marita Guti. She's a professor of art at Mississippi State University. We're talking with her today at the Mississippi State University Library. So did your interest in photography start as a, as a child or young adult? When did you pick up the camera? When did you start noticing photography as something that you wanted to pursue? Well, I would say my love of art started very young. My mo mother was really... And to my mind, a really good artist, sorry. And um, she, 
she really inspired me to do work. She taught me how to paint and other things. And I had some great teachers, you know, growing up as well. <laughs> I was a little bit of an entrepreneur when I was a kid. I actually would take rocks that I would find in the, the field next to me, take crayons and hand color them, you know, put little sunsets or sailboats on them and sell them to other neighborhood kids. So, um, you know, I think my love of creating happened very, very early. But photography came a little later. My sister, my younger sister, Maureen, really loved photography. She was uh, worked as a photographer in high school. Uh, she was about, um, you know, two years behind me in high school. And so she really loved it. I remember even she loaned me her camera one time because I was uh, a manager for the track team and, you know, I thought I'd take some photographs of the team. And she loaned me her camera and I went out to the track to photograph and I was advancing and it got, the reel got stuck. You know, I couldn't advance anymore. I panicked because I didn't know anything about it. You know, later as a professor, I know I just got to the end of the roll of film. <laughs> so, and um, so now looking back, very embarrassing. But when I went to college, I was, went into art. And um, first I was in education, and I thought, no, nah, I can't do this. You know, the kids are smarter than I am. I'm going to, you know, go and concentrate on something else. And I really wanted to be an artist. So I, I switched into art. And at w the college I went to, the College of Mount St. Joseph on the Ohio in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, basically had a program where the curriculum, I was a printmaker, but the curriculum required that at one point you either take photography or weaving. You know, I was not a, I could not see myself as a weaver. Um, I had a roommate that was, but I saw all those strings and the grid work and everything. I just, you know, I thought I'd be tied up in the loom if I tried it. So I thought, okay, I'll take this photography thing. And it was just pure love from that point on. It was, I fell in love with it. I had a really good teacher in, in undergrad, uh, Mr. Betts. And it was just a really, really great. I just, I kind of dropped printmaking and went totally into photography. So it was wonderful. I was willing to try just about anything. And, and that continued through grad school, et cetera. And was that, was your early work kind of art focused, in term, fine art focused in terms of the approach? Or was it, I know some teachers are more documentary style and, and that. Which is, that's interesting because Ed Betts, ran Marsh Photographic in downtown Cincinnati, which is was actually at that time a four-story building. And he did a lot of production work for Procter & Gamble and things like that. Really a very well-recognized, highly recognized um, you know, studio photographer. But when he came and taught, he taught it more of fine art. And let's see, my thesis presentation or exhibition in undergrad was philosophical trends shown through photography. So I had, you know, the, all, existentialism to theism, et cetera, and each one was represented in a photograph. So I was always doing something more uh, fine art then. Yeah. And so that, that was always, um, it, actually when I presented it to the faculty, it, they were like in a little bit of a, like, ooh, I don't know what to say to you. You know, a little awe, you know, like they, how to parse this. 
Well, the person right after me said, who is also in photography, said, I'm going to do sports photography. And the poor woman got grilled. <laughs> like, you know, just maybe give it a fancier name next time. I don't know. Right. <laughs> Shake them off a little with some yeah. fanciness. Uh... We're back on the Arts Hour. Our guest today is Marita Guti. She's a professor of art with a focus in photography at Mississippi State University. She has multiple winner of the Mississippi Arts Commission's Artist Fellowship Award and also uh, has been exhibited several times with the uh, Mississippi Invitational at the Mississippi Museum of Art. We'll talk about that in just a bit. Well, any more in terms of like kind of your journey to becoming a teacher? Did you spend any time working commercially before you went or was this a kind of a a straight line to becoming kind of in the academy? Well, after undergrad, I I had a job with McKendrick Photographic in Cincinnati. And I remember showing him my portfolio when I interviewed. And he, he basically photographed high schools, colleges, group events, um, sporting events, and uh, helped edit through their yearbook and provide them with uh, imagery that way. He's probably well-known in that area at that time for his group photographs because he was really, really good. And so he had a staff and you know, that would go out on these events. Or, and we did a, he also did all the um, printing that the high school and college students did. They shot the film, we, we printed it. But I remember showing him my portfolio for the job and he goes, wow, this is really nice. You, have, you, know, you can print, so that was important. And, but he goes, you know you can't do this type of work here. <laughs> And I said, if, he goes, if you're willing to learn, I'm willing to teach you. And I said, sure, you know. And um, so that's exactly what happened. I ended up getting a job with him and learning. You know, he actually helped me. He co-signed on a 200-millimeter lens I needed to go and shoot, you know, football. And I got, had some training on how to be on the sidelines and uh, when to get out of the way and things along that lines. But I remember traveling with one of the staff photographers there to a location to photograph for a football event, I believe. And I remember the photographer, we were sitting having coffee or something. Well, mine would have been tab at the time. But he said he never picks up his camera unless he gets he's getting paid for it. And you know, and I found that very heartbroken. You know, it was just it hurt. It hurt to hear that. So I decided at that point I wasn't gonna be that way. I wanted something more. And I had an opportunity to move to the Gulf Coast. I actually lived down in Long Beach for a while because I had a friend who was moving down there to work at uh, one of the, the centers down there. So I thought, okay, I'm, I'll go along. Let's, this would be an adventure. And I ended up getting a job at Gulf Photo for those that have lived on the coast. If, if you remember Gulf Photo, I used to work there. And um, that was really interesting. That was an, uh, it was a learning Like a commercial experience. lab? Or? It was a... Uh, a store. So I sold cameras. I did different things, you know, stocked, all that kind of stuff. It was a nice little store. We sent, people brought their film in, we sent it off and then reorganized it when they came back. But our primary thing was selling camera and additional supplies. We did have a little dark room in the back. And I do remember one gentleman coming in and wanting to know how, if I could show him how to make a print from his negatives. And so we went through the process of making a print. And at the end of it, he pulled out, he goes, well, that's a really nice print. And then he pulled out, he goes, I'd like you to th- see what I did. What do you think of it? You know, because evidently he had a dark room at home. And he pulled it out, and it was masterful. It was gorgeous. And I looked at him and was like, why are you asking me how to make a print? 
And I, I think at that point, I really thought in some ways, there's so much I need to learn. I, I needed to go back. I needed yeah. to go to school. And so at that point, I started, I applied for graduate school and I got accepted. Then it was just experiment with everything I could find. And that seems to be kind of a, an ongoing, maybe little thread line to your work in that you talk in your, in kind of your, your V-Day about kind of many photographers have a very distinctive individual style where yours is, you seem to try out, go into a lot of different processes in order, and, but you have a more of a conceptual framework, but the, the process can be one of many different things. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm, my underwriting theme is dealing with memory, place and time, but how I approach that all varies according to the materials I'm using. You know, sometimes I have to have to change materials or approaches because what I've selected goes off the market. This day and age with things, especially during the time period of the 90s and early 2000s, there was a huge flip-flop happening in uh, photography, going from the traditional to the, the digital. And there's so many darkroom papers, so many techniques that just disappeared. Uh, for a while there, was, someone joked that if you want to know what's going to be removed next from the market, just ask Marita what she's working with now. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing them off. Huh? <laughs> one by one. <laughs> yeah, I work, I've worked in a variety of different approaches in photography, but I think the underwriting theme always is the same. And it's always dealing with the idea of memory, whether it's a digital collage or if it's... Um, a Polaroid 8x10 print of images floating in a pool, or just a small hand-tinted black and white print. It all comes back to that. It all comes back to our past and our future and how, we, how fragmented and small it is and how fleeting, most of all, how fleeting it is. We're talking today on the Arts Hour with Marita Guti. She's a professor of art at Mississippi State. One, and I, and I think kind of your, your, um, the variety of your approach kind of is, is seen when I looked at, you know, you have this very detailed uh, Vita that you, you were telling me you put together for a proposal. But in terms of when you show the courses taught, you know, I think of some of the professors that I've, you know, they teach the same four classes for 30 years. And I think you have like maybe 30 different classes listed here, which is pretty amazing. I mean, and I, maybe that speaks a little to your interest in so many areas. <laughs> Could, or I'll does, talk to my boredom. I don't know. Or, yeah. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I came here and there was only photography one, photography two, photography three, and color photography. I, I was actually hired to teach color photography and to run the gallery because I worked for the Sheldon Swope Art Gallery in Terre Haute, or now Art Museum. So, um, you know, with that background, they hired me as a director. But through that process, there was so many areas that I thought we could explore and also renaming some of the some of the classes, you know, one photography course and alternative just wasn't enough. Need to have more. At one time, color photography was actually called dye transfer because I was able to work with the dye transfer medium and bring that to the students. Whatever I try to do in my own work, I try to bring back to the students. So I try to incorporate a course that they could take that they can explore that medium because I'm not doing it for myself or just for my creative research. I'm doing it also for them. So I try to bring that in, as well as being aware of what the changes are. 
it's important that we moved into the digital work. It's important that we also tried to push advanced darkroom so people weren't just getting one taste of darkroom at 35, that they could work on a larger format. And London Lighting Studio, I mean, for years, we didn't have a lighting studio. But a photographer needs to know how to use quality strobe lights, mm -hmm. not just... And control uh, it, know how to control. Yeah, not just reflectors pinned to the wall or something. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really important. I remember in undergrad, my professor actually brought in several studio lights because the school there did not have it. And I thought, well, there's some way we need to get these lights in here to give these students an opportunity of having a professional studio experience. The one that I was curious about you haven't mentioned yet is scanography is one of your <laughs> classes. So that's working with a scanner as, as, as your kind of starting point? or what? Yes, yes, because the scanner in some ways is just another camera. And that's actually a recent course introduced in the last couple of years. It's a lot of fun. It's interesting to see the students because they're restricted to this, this plate. So instead of going out and taking the camera and shooting any way they want, any place, they have to make their composition on the scanner. So it's a new way for them to think. And at first, I don't think they like it very much. But as the semester goes along, they really start seeing the potential and what they could do with it. In fact, I have one student that's in thesis, that will be in thesis next semester, who's working on a body of work dealing with just flatbed scanning. And she's working with the concept of flatbed scanning and emotional, psychological issues. So how to visually record those in texture and color on the scanner. So it's really interesting. Uh, one thing, unlike just making a painting, the scanner records what's there, and it's not going to be changing a whole lot. You can't really adjust it. You're, if you're working with certain elements, those are the elements you've got. It's a good challenge, I think, for the students. And that's one thing I want with them. It's not just take a course to make you know, it's fun, go out, take the camera, shoot. But I want them to think about how they're making work and challenge themselves to make work differently. Because, you know, if they go back to just shooting digitally after five, that's fine, but at least they've made an effort. And they've lear they learned not to have these check boxes in life. And is the scan kind of in terms of the process, it's, it's, it's more about building the image for the scan. Is digital processing part of that, or is it more about the creation of the, how they create the image for the initial scan itself? Right now, I have it to where they are, have to create the images from the scanner alone. Okay. I do have a couple scanners that they can take out on location, which is interesting for them to explore. But primarily, whether they you know, place their hand or face on it for a self-portrait, or if they are creating an, one of my assignments is usually a small nursery rhyme. And they have a choice of several of them. And then they have to illustrate that on the, from the scanner. So they have to collect the right elements and put it together. I mean, in some ways, it, I think it might be easier if I just let them scan parts and then put it together digitally. But I think the idea of scanning, just trying to get that more or less that camera to record what you have in front of you, limited to what you have in front of you, adds a, a creative thought process that they may not get normally. Welcome back for the final segment of the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey, and today we're talking with Marita Guti, Guti who is the uh, professor of art, a professor of art at uh, Mississippi State University with an emphasis in photography. One of my great, you know, I, I took photography classes in different times when I was in uh, college, and 
but to me, I the one, and I'm really happy to see that you guys still have an, a focus in, in Darkroom because to me, that's when it really, the Darkroom just is like another world. And it's hard to describe, but it is like one of those, when people talk about, a, you know, like time stopped for me, that's what I felt like, you know, I guess it's just like, cause you get so focused, but it's just a really entrancing place to be. I wish I could do it. I mean, go back and do it more. Cause it's just like, it is this other space that you go into. That, that's another class. I think it starts off students really not that fond of it because uh-huh. it's a little bit of a struggle. They're used to shooting off a hundred shots for one to get one image and they can see it immediately. And then a lot of things right now, people want to see immediately. So having to wait for that film to get developed, having to wait to develop it properly in the darkroom um, is a challenge. And, and it really does make people, if it makes the students move a little slower and more careful about what they're doing. But I love the darkroom. There's nothing, nothing better than darkroom. You, you read safe lights, music. You're dancing in between. You know, I call it the place that you can't. Know, Nobody you know, sees you dancing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed by anyone right. watching me. Yeah. But it, it's a really great place. I mean, I always joke with the students, like take a little fixer, put it behind your ears. It's great cologne, perfume, you whatever. It's like you'll love it. But it is really, a, it's a great place. We act to just. This fall, we introduced a, we uh, uh, upgraded, sorry, we upgraded our um, darkroom, our beginning darkroom with new enlargers. So that's really, that was really wonderful to be able to do after, because some of our enlargers date back probably older than I am, and that's pretty old. So having new, brand new enlargers are really, really nice. And so everything's the same age same quality and the students are really enjoying that and it's really nice to be able to make that investment in something that some programs see as just a waste of time because they've been pulled out of so many schools yeah because they take up so much space Mm -hmm. i mean i have to admit you know it takes up space and but it's fantastic space it's a space where students learn how to control what they're photographing and how and the importance of exposure I mean, in some ways with a digital camera now, if you're not careful, you can easily make a variety of densities of your uh, image, but you can take it into Photoshop and make adjustments. I mean, the raw file in Photoshop, you can do so much in it. You can bring back something that looks almost dead. You can't do that as easily with film. And it really makes them aware that they've got to make a good exposure. And the more they're aware of that, the better photographers they will be with any type of camera they pick up. So, and I also believe it forces um, a better sense of composition in general, because uh, you're in con- control of it, and you're, the time spent on one print makes that image more valuable. And so you put more investment in it, and it's got to be right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the darkroom's a great place. Do you see students, I mean, kind of gravitating back to some of the older processes, even though they have kind of the world at their fingertips? I mean, it seems like there's a building interest in in film and in Instamatic stuff and all, all these old processes seem to be, if, if, you know, the digital processes are aping them, you know, you go into <laughs> Instagram and you get a filter that make it look like a Polaroid or whatever, you know. I do believe that there's... Um, 
a resurgent of the uh, older processes or the, or the traditional processes, I guess. I do see more students exploring alternative processes. Now, if it comes with just straight black and white printing, I think the students will tend to go, okay, I, digital might be a little easier. Or I take, I shoot on film and I scan it in and finish it digitally, which is a really nice compromise. It's kind of a nice blend between the two worlds. But I think we've had students that have done tin types, lumen prints, which is basically taking your photographic paper that should be only opened under safe light, but then just taking it, putting a contact on top of it and exposing it to sunlight for an extended time period. And it shifts the, the chemical process within the, the paper and then just fix it. It's just really an interesting process when you're told in the darkroom, don't let, you know, that can't be seen in white light. As well as, you know, some of the other pr processes out there, even the scanography is a alternative versus a digital and it, it's something that makes I think the students want something at times that makes it more unique and they feel that they've touched and they've been involved in I believe that's why I have a love of alternative processes uh, I was a like I said I was a really big digital person at one point but you just can't smell the fixer next to the yeah yeah unless you bring some over there and you know it's a, it's just and that idea, the tactile, the choosing the paper, choosing the surface, self-applying color to the surface of the paper, all is, I think, is very important. And um, now some students have a really wonderful way of marrying that, and they've been very creative. Some of them will literally print an uh, image out digitally, hand tint it after the fact, and then rescan it to enlarge it to make it a larger print out of it. So there's some nice work there. Going back and forth, yeah. Yeah. I found a lot of people, a lot of students also have fallen in love with Polaroid, like you mentioned before. And there's the resurgence of that is really nice because they have the Impossible Project that's bringing Polaroid products out to the market. There is the Polar, new Polaroid that's coming out. You, now you have the, almost the same point-and-shoot Polaroid cameras that you had before, but with reformulated film. And then you also have um, type 55 has come back where you have the positive and negative, and it's being refined. So, I mean, there's some good things happening in that field. They're, they're not super big markets, but they're there. Right. And uh, the students are aware of them. People want to explore it, and I think that's exciting because the commercial world should not dictate what the fine arts of photography does. And that it's really been the amateur and commercial world that, kind of push towards the digital and the digital is great i mean there's some really great things you can do with it uh some people think i you know i'm not downing digital whatsoever because I, I love it i i have brand new digital you know full frame format camera but you need the balance of all of it it just can't be one area it's could i mean it couldn't be any more than having everyone have to do darkroom when we have these wonderful capabilities digitally so it needs to have a balance, and especially in the world of fine art, I think it's important. And I also believe that a student that has that idea of variety and alternative, et cetera, will be a strong, even if they wanted to go commercial, that's cool. There's a lot of great things that way, but by knowing those other techniques, you can bring those in to your commercial work and then stand out separately from everyone else. 
it has a lot to do with self-motivation, but it's all there. It's, and I want them to have all those tools at their fingertips. This is the Arts Hour, and we're talking with Marita Guti. She's a professor of art at the Mississippi State University in Starkville. I had mentioned earlier that you, you've been a part of uh, the Mississippi Invitational, the Mississippi Museum of Art. And I was hoping you could just talk a little bit about, I, I've seen the show many times as a, as a viewer and, and, and talk with the staff there about it and the guest curators, but as, a, as, a, as an artist who's participated, I'm interested to hear your side of kind of what that show means and, and, and what you've gotten on it over the years. I've had the privilege of being in that show um, five different times, so I'm, I'm really honored for that. <laughs> if you looked at the catalog, I don't know if you'd ever think it was the same artist five different times. Definitely each work, body of work is different, uh, at least technique-wise. But that's a, it, I always find that to be the most exciting honor to have through the whole process because you submit your imagery for overall review and then if you get selected for a smaller group you have the uh, curator to come and visit your space see your work more one-on-one -on -one. and having a chance to talk to that individual having a chance to show them multiple work you know, that's not showing them what you sent you're showing them what you have and it, I find that really interesting to see what their feedback is see what they think and then, then to be final, being the final selection because it narrows down from that you know group of maybe twenty or so to a smaller group, and having that honor of being considered as a leader in the field of contemporary of contemporary art, it's just a really really awesome feeling. And now with the Hyatt Award that you you can apply for, the people that you know get in can apply for this award. It would is an additional special honor to be able to get funding to go travel or to um, experience something new. I think it's it's a really, I think it's a really unique experience from the state of Mississippi, and and it's really awesome that people people need to take advantage of that. You know, I, I see that like I have to say about the Mississippi Arts Commission, the fellowship grant. Also, is an extremely fantastic honor. And not every state offers something like that. Right. And I think those are the special things about Mississippi. We have, we really support our artists. And that show is neat in that it's, you know, so many shows you go to are historical. You mm -hmm. know, like the, I mean, the show right now there is a great show, but it's about 200 years of Mississippi art where this is people who are actively working in the state right now that you can meet, you can go, you can see their work. So you're, you're kind of, you know, it's like a temperature reading of what's going on in visual arts for that time. It's a little like snapshot or something. So and it's always so diverse. Right. I mean, it's, it's, there's some people that have been there multiple times, five or more times, but their work is always unique and, and refreshing and different. And that shows that, even nothing stays the same. Everything, everyone challenges themselves to do better each time. And I, I think that's what's really exciting. And it is work that's happening here, it's happening now, and kind of energizes because it's not just WPA photographs or anything like that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's something, even, the, even if something is documenting, it's documenting a new way, a new, new touch, something we really haven't seen. 
and it really opens the doors to thinking. So it's a great show to go to because it really challenges you on what's happening as well as uh, the creative thinking that's going on in Mississippi. So it's really nice. What, do you, what are you working on right now or what are you thinking about? Do you have any kind of big project going right now or, or something that you're leading up to? But many of my projects are still ongoing, yeah. uh, being refined. And I always feel like whenever I hear that question, I'm saying I'm in transition. But you, know, <laughs> you could ask yeah. me about any, at any stage, any I'm point. in transition. Yeah. Because you know, I just always want to try something else. But I do have a series called Seen Through, which is like, which is a lumen prints. Uh, <laughs> this may sound strange. Lumen prints of direct contacts of fragments from inflatable pool toys. So you have just this paw of an alligator or this eye from a plastic fish or something. Uh, yes, I know it sounds strange. But it, it's a kind of a step off from my poolside series, which was these inflatable pool toys in a, in a pool and how they move through space and time and the idea of that's our dream as a kid. You just want to always have a pool. I always wanted one. I never got one. And then as time went on, how things change and how these, you know, to me, it's like the death. It's the end of something. It's, you know, it's past. But yet it was, it's two-sided because if you do the contact, you see the front and the back. And it's just this idea of the end. But at the same time, I've got this other series that's been ongoing for a while. It's called Talking to Ghosts. And it's probably one of the series that is more direct than Seen Through or Poolside or Sand Shadows. But it's more direct in the sense it, it was imagery of my parents the last three months of their lives. I had a sabbatical that semester, so I would go up and visit. And, and I didn't pull out my big camera or anything like that. I didn't want to invade their space sense of space or put them on you know showmanship or something mm -hmm. so i had an ipad or iphone and i would just take images and it just seemed like as my mom became a little more distracted in life or a little touch of dementia or alzheimer's that she she would tell me stories and then she'd just drift off and start looking looking off to the side and talk to this other person that's there it's like okay and that just started fascinating me and then she'd be right back in the moment. So it was like these points. But it was, it was a rough time because um, it was a decision to put her in a nursing home because my dad couldn't handle her anymore. Anyway, it, was, it documents that series, and it incorporates the idea of what was happening. And what was, was sad was um, my dad passed away uh, before my mother did. Twelve days later, she passed away. But he was at home alone during that time period. And it just it was, it was a sad moment in, in time. You know, it was, and you still hear it in my voice. You know, it's, it's still a, a struggle. Yeah. And there's something about wanting to put together something that talks of, that shows the journal work I was doing at that time, because I would write little diary entries, very short, but, you know, comments about when I would go up there and take care, because a lot of times I turned out to be the, the caregiver when I arrived so that put in I couldn't just visit I was you know taking care of things so you know that there were comments in there about that process 
And then also reflections, looking back on how things changed. There's something in me that wants to put together something, a larger statement on that. But I don't know. I, I just don't know where I'm going to go with that yet because I also feel like I have to be very sensitive to my family. And I just don't know if we're all ready for that yet. So trying yeah. to make a balance. So it's, it's, a, it's a slow process. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, if people are interested in seeing some of your photography, learning more about it, where, where can we send them online? Uh, you can go to maritagoodyphotography.com. Yes, long title. But uh, I, there you can see some of my photography. And right now I don't have anything up and exhibiting, but hopefully soon. So, But go to maritagoodyphotography.com. And check out my work. Great. Thank you so much again. Uh, For those of you who've tuned in late and you'd like to listen back to the show or share it with a friend, you can go to the MPB website at mpbonline.org. They post all our past shows there uh, as streaming files. You can also go on to iTunes and find it as a podcast. Until next time, we'll be seeing you around.